so glad to see all of you again. Um, had a restful couple of weeks, and I'm, I feel like a racehorse ready to exit the gate and I'm raring to go. And so I'm going to begin a series tonight entitled Encounter. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, in this series. We're going to begin tonight, and it's going to continue for, uh, for quite a while, probably several months. And we're going to cover biblical stories of ordinary people who have had extraordinary encounters with Jesus or with the very presence of God. Encounters that have left them changed and dramatically influenced because of that interaction. And, and we're going to talk about how we too can encounter and be changed by the presence of God. Because I have news for you, Jesus is still pursuing people. He's still in the business of transforming lives and impacting people for eternity. He does not want us to view him as a far-off, distant God. He wants us to encounter his presence and realize how truly near he is. We don't have to beg for an encounter. We don't have to run from charismatic event to charismatic event. We simply have to cultivate an awareness of his presence, to learn to quiet our hearts before him and concentrate our soul's attention on him. Not our soul's attention on the things around us, all of our disappointments, all of our trials, all of our tribulations, all of our hardships. We've got to stop getting our eyes on those things and start concentrating our soul's attention on the lover of our soul, the one who keeps us safe, the protector, the provider, the healer, the one who promises to be everything we have need of when we need him to be everything he is. Do you believe that? You see, Christianity is not about a religion. I really have had it. I've repented so much this past month about a spirit of religion, the tradition of men, Boring church, watered down word. Christianity is not about a religion. It's about an encounter with a very real God. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about living aware of his presence, the lover of your soul, the one who knows you best. The one who promises to never leave you, to never forsake you. It's about living aware of the God who sees you. He sees you. He sees what you brought into this room tonight. He sees the burden that's been weighing you down. He's waiting for you to give it to him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You were never supposed to carry burdens. He's called you a sheep, not a, not a camel. Camels bear, can't bear burdens. If he wanted you to bear burdens, he would have called us camels. He, he calls us sheep. Dave raised sheep when he was a little boy. He will tell you sheep, sheep cannot take a burden on their back. It will break their back. There's a reason he calls us sheep. He notices you. He sees you. We're not going to rush out of here every week. I know that that will disappoint some of you, and some of you won't come back because of that. <laughs> We're going to wait upon the Lord. We're going to seek encounter with him. I'm going to preach the word because I am convinced some of you, you know, you don't even want me to preach the word. You just won't move to the, the fun stuff. But I, I'm just going to tell you that everywhere I read in the word of God, the word came first. Jesus taught 
and then he healed. He taught, and then he delivered. He taught, and then he ministered life. The word, the entrance of the word, the Bible says, brings life. And so we're going we're gonna to wait upon the Lord. We're going to have a word of the Lord. Then we're going to wait upon him. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to come to the altar. We're, we're going we're gonna to just see what the Lord does. But we are not going to rush from his presence. We all long for revival. We talk about it all the time. Tonight, Tina was praying in prayer time, and she heard the word radical revival. And, and it met, she, I chuckled because she had no idea what I was going to preach on tonight. And many of us cry out for it. We long to see it. And yet revival, I think the best definition of revival is a community encountering God. And a community encountering God. And we're going to pray for that this series. We're going to pray for revival for encounter. And so that's where we're going to start tonight. We're going to start looking at some of these uh, narratives, stories in the Bible where people encounter God. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, familiar story. You've heard me teach on it um, before. A lot of these stories you will have heard me teach before, but I'm asking the Lord to give me new eyes, to give me a new perspective, to give me... Uh, do you know that I buy a new Bible every year because I believe that he has fresh manna for us. I believe the word that I read last year, he has something new he wants to show me this year. And so I buy a new Bible every year and I believe his word is fresh. And so even if you've heard me teach on a passage before, uh, if you made notes in your margin, I'm just going to tell you God is going to do something new. He's going to expose something new. He's going to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know him better. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, the story of the man with the withered hand, verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus. He, Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, don't miss that, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with Herodians against him how they might destroy him. The King James says how they might kill him. Look at verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. It's important that you have some context uh, for this story. It's important that we understand the background of what's going on at this time. At this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, there, there was conflict all around him. He had just, prior to this story, had some conflict with the Pharisees about his disciples. And he had, had, prior to that, he had done some deliverance and people were up in arms about that. And and the religious leaders and Jesus' adversaries, they're looking for a way to trap Jesus. They want to kill him. And he knows it. And yet I want you to take note that nothing hindered him from going to the synagogue that day. I loved it. 
Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I want to stay away from people that don't like me. I, I know you're far more spiritual than I am, but I either want to tell them a thing or two, which I've been known to do, or I want to stay away from them. And I love that Jesus didn't care if he had enemies or not. He didn't care if people misunderstood him. He didn't care if people didn't agree with him. He had a mission to accomplish. He was about the Father's business, and he knew that he had to go to the synagogue. In fact, Scripture tells us that it was his custom to go go to the synagogue. It was his habit to go to, to the synagogue. Some of you haven't stepped foot in church for a long time, or you go from church to church to church because you get offended by somebody or somebody hurts your feelings. You won't even commit to a church. <laughs> but Jesus, his habit was to go to the synagogue, even a synagogue that didn't welcome him, even a synagogue that judged him wrongly. And I, I love that. These people were out to get Jesus talking smack about him and, and trying to bring him down, and yet nothing kept him from going to the synagogue that day. Look at the wording in verse 1. It says, And he entered the synagogue again. Don't miss that word again. That tells me he had been there before. He had been in this synagogue before. And, and, and he, attending worship was a priority for him. It didn't matter who was there or, or not. As I said, it was his custom. It should be our custom as well. It amazes me the excuses that people have for not attending worship on Sunday morning. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to tell you what the text says. I'm, I'm trying to tell you what Jesus' habit was and and to encourage you that way. But Jesus understood his mission was to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It didn't matter what people thought of him, whether they were with him or against him. He had to be about his father's business. And nothing was going to keep him from that mission. And he was there that day for a purpose. Turn over to Matthew 12, 9. This is Matthew's version of this story. And it says, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. I love that. Matthew calls it their synagogue. Who is Matthew writing to? What group of people did Matthew write his gospel for? The Jewish people. And, and it's fascinating to me because Jesus was Jewish, and yet he calls it their synagogue. And, and I want to know why. Because it was his synagogue too. And I believe he's making a point in saying that. It was their synagogue because they no longer made room for God. It was about them and not about God. It was about laws and regulations and not lives. It was their synagogue. The synagogue was not serving their purpose anymore. I just wonder how many churches are not serving their purpose anymore. It's a place where people can come and get judged and get, instead of a place where people can come and get healed. The synagogues in Jesus' time had become a place of man-made law-keeping and not a place of healing and of encounter. And yet Jesus went there. Mark tells us he entered into the synagogue. Oh, I hope you didn't miss it tonight where Jesus entered in. You could feel it. You could feel the, the Holy Spirit just drop into this place. Uh, and so verse 1b, a man was there who had a withered hand. That word withered, some of your translations will say shriveled. Uh, I was thinking when I was reading this about my son, Tyler. My son, Tyler, is now 38 years old. But when he was a little boy, about five or six years old, I, I, I like 
to have nice shrubbery and I keep it nicely trimmed. When I, when I got Dave in my life, he took it all over. But at that time, I was really trimming my shrubbery and I loved it. And I had this, this strip of bushes that went down the side of my house and I had just finished trimming them a couple days prior. And I cleaned up all the broke, the broken off branches, the trimmed off branches, and they looked beautiful. They were really bright green and they just looked beautiful. And I was very proud of those bushes. And Tyler had watched me and a few, maybe a week later, I don't know, maybe not even that long, I went out one morning to take Tyler to school and I happened to notice my, my bushes and they were withering. They, had, they were kind of shriveling up and they looked a bit dead. And I, I thought, what is going on there? Did I, did I trim them wrong? What did I do wrong? And I walked over and I noticed that the branches had been disconnected from the vine, from the base of the, of the shrub. And because they were disconnected, they had begun to wither up and die. Well, Tyler had seen me trim the shrubbery about a week earlier, and he wanted to do the same thing. And so he had gone out on his own and trimmed my shrubbery as well. But what, what struck me was how quickly those branches, once they were disconnected from that main branch, how they began to shrivel up and wither away and die. This man's arm had been withered. It was shriveling up. And I wonder how many are in the house tonight. And their life is like that. Their life is beginning to shrivel up and wither they're away. They're wasting away because they're disconnected from the vine. There's nothing that will cause your life to shrivel up quicker than being disconnected from Jesus, from putting him on a shelf and, and not, not interacting with him, not, not spending time in his word, not spending time with him. It'll cause you to shrivel up and die. His arm was withered. The same word is used to describe plants that are parched up and, and dried up like my shrubs. Uh, the word itself means to shrivel up, to dry up, to cripple. It means useless. The King James is interesting because in this passage, it inserts the word behold before the introduction of this man's presence in the synagogue. It says, behold, there was a man there with a withered hand. Anytime you see that word behold, take note to it. That The word behold is a marker. It's used to get your attention. It, it means pay attention. Don't miss what's following because it's really important. So anytime you see a word, the word behold, make sure you pay attention to what's coming. And so you, the word here says, behold, there was a man with a withered hand. Mark doesn't want you to miss that his, man, his hand was withered. I want you to see that the man had a withered, crippled hand, but he was in church that day. He wasn't at home feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't having a pity party of one. As a pastor, I, I, I see this often where people will give an excuse why they can't come to church and, and, and it's usually pity party of one or it's somebody hurt me or I just am too tired or I have this going on. This man put a higher priority on worship than, in, than on his own comfort, on his own self. This man had positioned himself for an encounter. A man was there whose right hand, the Bible says, was shriveled. It was withered. It was crippled, dried up, and paralyzed. His condition was probably affecting his life. Most commentators say because his arm was shriveled and it was his right arm, it would have, it would have affected everything in his life. He, he wouldn't have been able to dress himself properly. He wouldn't have been able to make a living. He wouldn't have been able to take care of his children like he should have. He, he couldn't even do the, the basic uh, needs in his own life because it was his right hand that was shriveled. 
It affected his life. If he had a family, they would have been affected by his condition. His future didn't look too bright, but one encounter from Jesus. Can I just say, one encounter with Jesus changed everything. Can I tell you that I don't know why he was healed that day? We don't see him crying out. We, we don't see him asking Jesus. We certainly don't see him begging to be healed. Uh, we, we don't see him doing anything to get Jesus' attention. What we do know is that he caught Jesus' eye. Jesus saw him. He noticed him. Can I promise you? I promise you that Jesus sees you tonight. Maybe you feel like nobody sees you. Maybe you feel like you're fighting a battle all alone. Maybe you, see, you think nobody notices what, what condition you're in. But can I tell you that my Jesus sees you. He sees you. He, he notices you. Whatever condition you came in tonight, he wants you to be restored and made whole. The Amplified Version of this passage says something interesting. It says that this man was crippled as a result of an accident or a disease. The historian Jerome tells us that this man was a stonemason. Likely the injury uh, happened because he was wounded on his job. It could have been, uh, you know, commentators say, he could have been uh, injured because of a disease. Nobody knows, but we know that something happened to him that left him crippled that left him paralyzed. He had a wound that immobilized him. He had an injury that paralyzed him. Life was good. And then something happened. I wonder if anyone here tonight can relate to that. That life is good. Everything's going peachy keen, honky dory. Everything's great. All your, your I's are being dotted and your T's are being crossed. And then suddenly out of nowhere, something happens and you are left affected because of it, no longer the same because of it. Scripture says it was this man's right hand. Luke tells us that. Remember, Luke was a, a medical doctor, and so details are important to him. The right hand is important because in the Jewish mindset, the right hand was a, sim a symbol of power, of authority, of strength, of victory. The right hand. Jesus sits on what side of the Father? The right hand of the Father. When Jesus healed somebody, he took them by the right hand, the hand of power, the hand of authority. And he's sitting on the side of victory, can I just tell you? This man, the story isn't even about this man's physical hand. It was about his authority, his power, his, his ability to walk in victory being withered away. What about you? Do you feel like you're here tonight and you're no longer walking in victory? That your power and your authority has been crippled? Maybe somebody did something to you. Remember, he's injured. He's crippled as a result of an injury. And it's interesting. It's in the passive voice. I love that. It's in the passive voice. And what that means is, is, is that he didn't do anything to get injured. It was done to him. He didn't cause it. Oh, but he's paying the price for it. 
See, I was, you didn't get that, or you'd be talking back to me right now. You see, I, I came in here, this poor, this poor worship team tonight, they were practicing, and I was so charged up by the Spirit, I walked in and I just interrupted their whole worship time. I picked up some flags. I have stitches down my back. I picked up some flags. She told me not to do anything with my arms. I was waving my arms because I just was so charged up by the Spirit. I'm telling you, it's time to awake my soul. That was a good word. This is a passive word in, in, in the Bible and it means this man is in the condition he's in he didn't do anything to deserve it somebody did it to him and there's somebody sitting here tonight and you are in the condition you are in and you didn't deserve it somebody did it to you you're injured because of what they did to you you didn't deserve it you didn't do anything to cause it and here you sit crippled paralyzed withering away. But I got news for you. Jesus is in the house. And you don't have to sit in that condition one more day. Do you know that they, they, they want to accuse him because he healed on the Sabbath. They want to kill him because he broke the Sabbath law. They're looking to trap him. And Jesus could have said, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. But you just got to wait for tomorrow because I can't heal you today. They're out to get me. They're setting a trap for me. I'll get you tomorrow. I'll be back tomorrow. Just deal with this one more day. He could have done that. But I love my tender Jesus. See, you're missing the, the pictures of our tender Jesus. He was like, you're not going to wait one more day. I don't care if they're out to get me. I don't care if they're setting a trap for me. You, I, He just shows mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Compassion upon compassion upon compassion. He doesn't care what you've done or what's been done to you. He wants you restored and made whole, and he doesn't want you to wait one more moment for it. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. I want you to remember that this was in Bible time, and they didn't have pain clinics. They didn't have pain medication. They didn't have anything to alleviate the pain. Commentators said this condition he had would have caused him immense pain. Some of you are in immense pain tonight. And there's nothing you can do to alleviate that pain. Like this man, there's nothing you can do to fix it. Oh, can I tell you, Jesus is in the house. The J.B. Phillips translation says that this man's hand was shriveled and, and, and was wasting away. I read that and I, I thought there's some of you here tonight who are wasting away in depression, in despair, in hopelessness. Your days are just being wasted away because you can't get out of bed. You can't function. Jesus is in the house. It was his right hand. His right hand is also the clean hand. And I'm going to just gross you out. But the left hand was used for bathroom. And so it was considered an unclean hand. And, and, and so the right hand was considered the clean hand. And, and, and so it's a picture of, of, of uh, his, his cleanliness being paralyzed. Some of you are here tonight and your clean is paralyzed. Maybe you chose wrong and you're living in regret, but you can't 
you feel filthy and unclean. Maybe you were acting out sexually and, and you can't shake it off and your cleanness paralyzed. Can I tell you, Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. The right hand is also the hand of fellowship. Dave always talks about this, the right hand of fellowship at Grace Church. And, and, and it's a picture of this man where his, his right hand is crippled. He is out of fellowship with God. His, his fellowship with God is withered away. Nothing will wither you quicker than being out of fellowship with God. Look at verse 2. So they watched him closely, watching Jesus closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Matthew tells us that they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They were setting him up. And, and what, what's interesting to me is it says they watched him to see if he would heal. That, that's so interesting to me because they expected him to heal. In other words, their, their expectation testifies that they knew Jesus had the power to heal. That's interesting to me. They expected him to heal. They were watching to see if he would heal. In other words, they knew he could. Did you get that? Do you know what that says to me? Because you see, I'm around religious people a lot. It's, it's my lifestyle. It's my, it's my livelihood. It, it's what I do. I'm surrounded by Christians everywhere I go. But here's what bothers me. Here's what bothers me. That we know God is able. We have no doubt in our mind he's able, but we don't expect it. We don't look for it. And then when it happens, we look for a reason to accuse him. He's still in the power of healing. That's not Old Testament. That, that's not gone with the disciples. That, that's not a kooky, kooky, charismatic thing. That's my Jesus. He is still able to heal. He's still able to deliver. He's still able to restore life. He is still able to do immeasurably more than you and I could ever ask, think, or imagine. That's my Jesus. They expected, they, they were looking for a reason. They expected him to heal, but their hard hearts wouldn't soften enough to be impacted by him. Uh, Jesus, the Bible says, was grieved by their hard hearts. He was grieved by it. He knew that these people knew that he would not be able to resist helping this man, even if it was on the Sabbath. But, but, but sadly, their knowledge of him did not draw them to him. Verse 5 says, he looked around at them with anger being grieved over the hardness of their hearts. That word hardness means to cover over with a callus. It means blindness. It means uh, dulled perception. It, it's the mind of one that has been blunted. It means a stubbornness. Or um, Here they are in the presence of the almighty, all-powerful God. And they weren't even open to it. Tonight, some of you are hearing this word and, and, and you won't even be pricked by it because your heart's hardened. You're, you're looking for a way to pick apart this sermon instead of receive this sermon. Others will say, I don't even know if I'm coming back because she takes too long. She, she makes us stay too late. And uh, it's a hard heart. It's a hard heart. It's interesting to me that one of the passages says that he, oh, I want to find it here. It, it says that he looked them in the eye. He looked them in the eye one by one, being grieved by their, the hardness of their heart. That strikes me. He looked them in the eye, and then he was grieved by the hardness of their heart. Do you know what that means? 
That means when he looked at them, he could see the hardness of their heart. You can see hardness? Oh, my, can you ever. I'm going to say this as gently as I can because you know me. I say what's on my mind. (laughs) But Leslie and I have been talking about how you can see hardness. You can see bitterness. Actually, you might think you're hurting somebody or, you know, you're, you're entitled to being angry over something. But, dear one, can I just tell you, it's, it's a hardness that makes it evident to other people. You can see it on your beautiful face. We harden our heart. You've heard me tell the story about little Christy, my daughter. Um, when Christy was a little girl, she, had these, she still to this day has these petite little tiny soft hands. And um, she loved the monkey bars so much. And every year when school would start in September, she would come home with, with blistered hands. And I would say, baby girl, don't go back on those monkey bars. And she'd be like, I love it. And, and so she would put Band-Aids on them, but she'd come home and the, the blisters would be open. And the next day, her, cal- her little hands would be bleeding. And she had bloody scabbed hands for a long time. And, but eventually, maybe, I don't know, two, three months into the school year, those, those blisters weren't there anymore. They had healed over and, and been covered over with a thick layer of skin because she just kept going back to the thing that was injuring her. And, and so pretty soon... She just became, her little skin became hardened and tough, covered over with a callus. You could stick a pin in it, and it wouldn't even hurt her. But some of you have been so injured in life. And you don't want to hurt anymore. You don't want to feel the pain anymore. And so you've calloused your heart. You've hardened your heart and... You don't even feel the prick of the spirit anymore. You're not even convicted anymore with ugliness, with offense, with unkindness. Can't hurt you anymore. You're calloused. You're hardened. And the Bible says that Jesus looked them in the eye and he was grieved over the hardness of their hearts. Here he is, the almighty God, able to heal and deliver and set free, all powerful in the house. And they were picking him apart, looking to accuse him, not even open to what he could do in their lives. Jesus healed one person in the synagogue that day. He could have healed everybody. He healed one. Not even a man who came to him But because Jesus knows what's in a man, he knows what's in every one of us tonight. He went through the room (laughs) and he looked at them and he knew what was in their heart. One person got healed. The Bible says he was angry with them because of the hardness of their heart. Some of you, that doesn't, that doesn't hit, fit in your religious box. You say anger is not good, and it, it, you know it's not good for a man to be anger. angry. Well, Jesus was angry over their hardness of, of their heart. 
Luke says they, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And one by one, he looked in the eyes. One translation says, um, one by one, Jesus looked into the eyes of each person in the room. Can I just tell you, before a word is on your lips, Jesus knows it completely. He knows what's in a man. You might be able to fool me, but you can't fool Jesus. He is the God who sees. Every day, just about every day, Leslie and I pray together, and just about every day, one of the first prayers that we begin to pray is, Lord, examine my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Because I don't want to see it. I, sometimes he shows me stuff, and I'm like, why did you let me get away with that for so long? It's so ugly. Today, I was irritated about something. I got triggered over something, and I snapped at Dave, and I was in the middle of worship. I was worshiping. <laughs> I was singing. I was studying the word, and Dave did something, and I snapped. And he said, what just happened? And he just quietly went away, and the Lord just went whoosh. <laughs> just conviction like you can't even believe. And I said, Davey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I just did that. I want a heart like that. We can't have perfect hearts. We're as, we are still in the flesh. We still have a body. We still have a soul. But I want a heart that whoosh can be so easily convicted that I have to make right what I did. He knows what's in a man. He knows what's in a man. Verse 3 says, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Another detail that Luke tells us that Mark doesn't is he says, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. This is so important. Right there in the midst of a religious crowd where everybody could see his problem, Jesus called him to, to step forward in front of everyone. I, I was thinking as I was studying this, I wonder, because I'm like this. I have this bandage on my back. And I wore this sweater because I want to keep it hidden. I didn't want anybody saying, what happened to your back? I wanted it to just look like I had it all together. So I wore it to cover it. I wonder if this man tried to keep his arm it was withered. It was crippled. I wonder if he just didn't want anybody to notice. Because you could do that if your arm was, you could just wear a shirt that was long. But Jesus noticed. Do you love that? Do you, do you love? It wasn't like a crippled nose. It wasn't, you know, a, a mark on his face that he could not. It was his arm that he could easily keep hidden. But Jesus noticed. Some of you are here tonight, precious ones. Please, I work so hard for this. If you only knew the amount of time that I spend studying for this handful of people. I, I talk to the Lord all the time. I'm like, Lord, why? Why do we only have a handful of people on Monday night? I labor over this word. I, I try to be faithful. And I, I'm pouring myself out for a handful of people. What are you doing? Please, I'm just telling you, I work hard for this. Please pay attention. I'm here because I want to see people set free. So hear me tonight. 
I want this to be an atmosphere where, where God can show up and change lives. I want to see people healed and set free. I believe the, the, the Bible that I preach. I believe the message I preach. I believe God is able to deliver. And so please don't waste my energies. I'm just telling you, if you're here tonight and you got something that you're trying to keep hidden, I want you to just step forward. I want you to come forward and let Jesus deal with that thing. Jesus called him forward out of his comfort zone. Step forward in front of everyone. See, you don't understand who he stepped forward in front of. The people who were trying to kill Jesus, the people who were keeping the law, the religious elite, the super spiritual, the ones, these are the people that wore the robes, you know, and the, the things on their forehead. I mean, you know who I'm talking about. Have you seen The Chosen? You know, think about them. Hotsy-totsy, super spiritual, looking down on you because you're not keeping the law, keeping a record of, of these. You want me to do what? <laughs> do you know what they're going to say about me? They're going to think I sinned. They're going to say something mean about me. They're going to judge me. Yeah, come forward. Can you, see, we don't, we read the story all the time, but we don't think about it. It was risky. How does he even know Jesus is going to heal him? Maybe he's just going to say, show him the arm. And he, they're going to be like, oh, I can't hide this anymore. What if it doesn't work? And then everybody knows I have this withered, crippled arm. That's some of you. It was an invitation to be vulnerable. Step forward. Some of you came tonight, and you've been doing this really good job keeping it all together, looking like you have it all together. Doing a really good job hiding the things that you're struggling with. Maybe you could barely get dressed to get here tonight, but baby, you're looking good, smile on your face. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How are you? And yet you know what's happening behind closed doors. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction that you just can't get free of. And you think if people knew, what would they say about me? Can't I tell you, Jesus knows, darling. Stop trying to cover it. And let's start getting healed. Maybe you have a mindset that's just messed up and, and, and you think there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, can I tell you, stop, stop covering it and come forth. Come out of your comfort zone. That's why the Bible says, Confess your sins to one another and be healed. There's something about vulnerability. There's something about stepping forth. Right there in the middle of that religious crowd, he invites him to be vulnerable, to expose what's embarrassing, to uncover what he's keeping hidden. And what's interesting to me is the man didn't get defensive or angry. He actually responded in obedience. He responded in obedience. He had had to be willing to make his weakness public. Jesus was saying, let everyone see it, expose it, uncover it. But you see, we have so much pride. And how's that working for you? I don't know about you. The older I get, and I am getting old, uh, I can't, I don't have time anymore to play games. If you like me, great. 
if you don't rock on with your bad self, I don't need you in my life. I mean, I just, I don't have time to play games. I, I don't, don't mess with me. I, I don't have time for that. If you want to talk about me behind my back, you do it. But do you know what you look like to people? Do you know what people say about you? Do you know that nobody trusts you when you do that? You're hurting yourself. And you see, instead of worrying about those things, I don't worry about those things anymore. I ain't nobody got time for that. If you want to judge me because of the way I wear my hair, the way I dress, you do that. I don't care. Life is too short. See, some of you care way too much what people think. The Bible says I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. It's God who judges me. He says, come forward in front of everybody. It's risky. He places himself in full view. He brought it out in the open. He had a choice to make. Will I obey Jesus and be whole again? Or will I do what is pleasing to man? So Matthew adds something that none of the other gospel writers do. Matthew 12, verses 11 and 12, and I'm finishing. He says, Then Jesus said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is man than a sheep? That's interesting to me. I wonder why Jesus used those words have a, a sheep that falls into a pit. Uh, I wonder if those words were randomly chosen by Jesus or if they described the man's life. Was he in a pit because of the condition of his life? Are you? Have you been living in a pit? This man was powerless to fix himself, powerless to fix what was broken until he encountered Jesus. Verse 4 says, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or kill? But they kept silent. It, I told you, there, in all reality, this healing could have waited. It was not an emergency. It wasn't a life or death situation. Maybe the man was uncomfortable. Maybe he was in pain, but he wasn't in immediate danger. To wait until the following day would not have been a big deal. But I love that Jesus didn't wait. It was the mercy of God at work. Jesus was modeling it for us. We should do the same. I just want to tell you, Leah and I were talking, where's Leah? On yesterday, we were talking about mercy and truth. Leah, I went back to scripture today and I began to look at the word mercy because Jesus is modeling mercy before people who are using the law to judge. And so he was saying, I could either obey the law or I can show mercy. I'm going to choose mercy. I'm going to choose mercy. And, and so Lee and I were talking yesterday about mercy and truth. And over and over in Scripture, the two are always combined, mercy and truth. You see, Jesus shows mercy, but he doesn't compromise truth to do it. That is so good. I'm sorry, but it's so good because I'm a mercy. I, I, Karen, you're a mercy. Have you ever seen a mercy like this woman right here? She is full of mercy. I, I don't, I have a lot of mercies on my team. Petra, Karen, I, I got, I got mercies surrounding me because I don't have it. That's not my strength. I am like 
straighten up. Let me give you some scripture. If you just stand on the scripture, you're going to be just fine. We need to talk about that thing in your life and let's get it straight. Am I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. That's who I am. That's how God created me. But I make sure that the people around me on my team are full of mercy. So that after I tell you that, these people could come alongside you and say, oh, it's going to be okay. And you're so sweet. Let me pray for you. It works. We got a good record, don't we? Where was I going with mercy? But, but here's what happens. People who have that gift of mercy, not you, Karen, but people who have that gift of mercy will compromise truth in the process. Everything is just fine. You're accepted just the way you are. God's word doesn't matter. We're going to compromise that and show you mercy. No, baby, I will give you mercy. I will love you well, but you will not ever find me compromising God's truth for it because here's what I know. Oh, where's my Bible? I just knew I brought this for a reason. Can I have this, Leslie? Here's what Jesus says. Can I just tell you this? I read this the other day. I sent it out to the team. I was so shaken by it. Um, it says, be so much easier, girls, if you just pull up your app and let me find it. Um, and I know the Father's commands result in eternal life. And that's why I speak the very words I've heard him speak. This is Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I'm just going to tell you, I know the Father's commands. See, we don't want commands. We want feel-good gospel that never challenges us and doesn't lets us suck right where we are. But Jesus is, himself says, I know the Father's commands result in eternal life. That doesn't mean result in you getting to heaven. The word there, eternal life, means everlasting, ongoing, uninterrupted life. So Jesus is saying, I'm just going to tell you, obeying God's commands result in you having abundant life. And so he says, and that's why I speak the very words I've heard him speak. And I'm telling you, that is me. I can't help. People say, why do you preach such a hard gospel? Because I got to tell you what I've heard him speak because I understand his word results in life. And I will show you mercy, but it's got to come with truth. They can't compromise truth in the process. Otherwise, you won't have life. You'll have comfort in the moment. But you'll still be in a pit. Jesus said, I'm going to see that sheep in the pit and I'm going to do anything I can do to get him out of there. I want you to note that Jesus felt compassion and mercy on the man with the withered hand, but he was angered over the people with the hardened hearts. That, that just moves me. You see, every time we turn from God and we ignore the conviction of his spirit, the prick of his spirit in our conscience, we harden our hearts. Every time we ignore his command and we do what feels good to our flesh, we harden our heart. Jesus looked around and he was grieved by the hardness of of their hearts. Drop down to verse 6 for a moment. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him and how they might destroy him. I told you that the King James says how they might kill him. They plotted. Now, let's don't miss this. These are the religious elite, the super spiritual, the ones who were angry with Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath and wanted to say that was a no no, you shouldn't have done that. And they were like, in your face, Jesus, that was bad. We're super religious. You're disobeying the, you know, the law. But yet, these same people are plotting how they might kill Jesus on the Sabbath. Heal on the Sabbath. Kill on the Sabbath. But we are super spiritual. 
This is what we're doing in the church. This is what we're doing in the church. I have a friend who's super-duper, over-the-top, homosexual. I love him with all my heart. I can't even tell you how much I love him. David, do I love him? I like, I love him so much, I can't even tell you. I know he's coming to Jesus. I know he is. When I go see him, I'm not, and let me tell you this, you need to get this thing straightened out. I'm give you some Bible verses, because you need to straighten out the law. I love him with all my heart. And I want to see him free. Not because he's breaking the law. Because he's fallen into a pit, and I want him to get out. They plotted to kill him after they judged him for healing. This is what we do to people in the church. You can't come here because you don't got it all together. Rhea, I can't believe you let that person in the church. Really? Really? The last time I read my Bible, only the sick need a doctor. That makes the church a hospital, not a courtroom. It was their synagogue. Because it became about the law and not about lives. Church, mercy needs to triumph over judgment. Here's what I see. The people who are so caught up in that garbage especially in the church. I pretty much go through it and pick them out in the crowd. Because the anger shows on their face, the hatred shows on their face, the judgmental, critical attitude shows on their face. You don't want to be like that. You're welcome here. Your sickest friend is welcome here. Your addicted friend is welcome here. Your prostitute friend is welcome here. Your sexually addicted friend is welcome here. You're safe here. You're safe to get healed. You're safe to be real with your struggles. Jesus invites you to come forth and receive the restoration and the healing that only he can give. If people never get to the church, they never encounter Jesus, and they can never be made whole. The Bible says that he stretched forth his hand. You know, I love that Jesus said, stretch forth your hand, because you wanted to. There are all kinds of stories, like the blind Bartimaeus stands in front of Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And you just would say, duh, Jesus. I'm 99% sure he wants to see. I'm pretty sure that's what he wants. You know? What do you want me to do for you? And here he says to this crippled arm, withered up arm, he says, stretch forth your arm. And you wanted to say, Jesus, if he could stretch forth his arm, don't you think he would have done it by now? It wouldn't be withered and shriveled up if he could do that. And Jesus steps into our life and he asks us to do what seems impossible he commands us, actually, to do what seems impossible. Forgive, 
love, honor, respect. And you want to say, don't you think if I could have done it, Jesus, I would have by now. But you see, his commands come with his enablement. Anything he commands, he enables and empowers you to do. So this man stretched forth his hand, and the Bible says that immediately it was, look at this, restored as whole as the other. Jesus didn't lay hold of his hand. He didn't get some oil and splash it all over him. He, He didn't do anything. He didn't make this big show. He just spoke the word. Stretch forth your arm. And the man followed the command, and guess what happened? It was restored as whole as the other. That word restore means to restore to its former state. It means it was once good and something messed it up. I, I love it. It was restored as whole. The word whole there means whole, sound, restored to health. Can I just tell you this man couldn't will it? He couldn't fix it. He couldn't uh, tame it. Only Jesus could do it. And some of you are sitting here tonight dealing with something that you can't fix You can't repair, you can't make right, you can't make whole again, you can't restore it and make it like it used to be, but Jesus can. All it takes is one encounter with him. Stretch out your hand. He does the same to us. He he calls us to do what seems impossible. Husbands, love your wives, but you don't know my wife. Wives, honor your husband. Obviously, you don't know my husband. Forgive as you've been forgiven, but you don't know what was done to me. He calls us. He steps into our life and the things that have us withered up and shriveling away and dying, and he commands us to do something that seems impossible but enables us to do it, and in in doing so, we're made whole. This man had to act in faith. He had to take a step in faith, and the same is true for, for you and for me. It was a point of decision for the man. Would he obey Jesus, or would he try to appease the people around him? This man was determined to straighten out what was shriveled. Are you? Are you tired enough of being tired and weary? Are you tired enough of living in a constant pity party? Are you tired enough of living depressed and full of despair? This, this, in this story, this, crip, this man's crippled hand kept him from being made whole. What is keeping you from being made whole? What's withered up in your life? What's wasting away in your life? Jesus wants to make it whole. Are you here tonight feeling crippled, feeling weak, feeling dried up? What's your area of weakness? What's keeping you paralyzed, ineffective? Is it a memory? Is it a fear? Is it a failure? Is it the opinion of others? What has you, your joy drying up and withering away? What's keeping you living defeated and powerless? Stretch forth your hand. Stretch forth your hand. We've gotten away from believing that Jesus cares about what has us crippled and paralyzed. We file for divorce instead of believing he can heal a paralyzed marriage. We run from doctor to doctor, counselor to counselor, instead of believing he can heal that which is crippling our life. 
We battled our troubled teens with our mouth instead of on our knees. We, we numb ourselves with drugs and alcohol instead of looking to him to bring life back into our useless existence. We cave into depression and despair instead of asking the one who is able to deal with it to bring victory back into our life. Can I just tell you that Jesus is in the house. He says to this man, stretch forth your hand. One translation says, open up your hand. I googled what does an open hand mean, and it means someone who's ready to receive. And I love that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, but I love that. Because I wonder if you're here tonight and you're ready to receive. Which crowd are you with? Are you with the crowd with Jesus or are you with the religious elite looking for a reason to judge, looking for a fight to pick? Or are you willing to open up your hand and receive all that Jesus has for you? It's your choice. I just am telling you that I'm, I'm really tired of keeping him in a box and seeing powerless Christianity. I really am. Today, my daughter Brooke called me, and she uh, is working on staff at Passion Church at Louis Giglio's church, and they're doing a corporate fast for January as well. And she said she was so excited. Um, and she said, Mama, i got to tell you what happened. She said, I've been fasting all month, and I haven't seen anything. And and, and she said, I was getting really discouraged. And she said, I went into work today. And she said, there's an issue I, I have at work. And she said, I didn't tell anybody. She told me. But she said, I haven't told anybody because I, you know, I just can't. And she said, Mom, God took care of that issue. She said, you could have knocked me off my feet. She said, I went into staff meeting today, and they said this was happening. And she said, I, I just did a double take. Because she said, I couldn't believe that God took care of it. She said, Mom, you don't understand. He took care of everything. He took care of it. And, and, and she said, it, um, she was just so excited. And she was amazed at the power of God. When's the last time you were amazed at the power of God? I just believe that's who he is. I told you that we weren't going to rush out of here. If you need to leave, you can just leave quietly. I just ask that you would leave quietly. But... For those of you that want to remain, we're just going to wait on the Lord for a little bit. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I think that um, we're going to probably just open up a time for people to come forward for prayer, but I, I don't know. We're just going to let Connor and Joe and Kathy lead for a little bit, and and we're going to we're just going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait till I hear from him, and or till somebody hears from him. <laughs> But we're going to wait. And so I just want you to quiet your hearts. And I want you to turn your attention on him. I've been reading Brother Lawrence's book, um, Practicing the Presence of God. And I've been trying to be intentional about just blocking out the distractions because the enemy wants to distract you. Yes, Lord. He doesn't want you fixing your attention 
on the one who can help you. He, he wants you to waste your energies fixing it on all the garbage going on around you. And so just for this moment, can you just be purposeful about directing your soul's attention to God? Lord, we fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the lover of our souls, the repair of the breach in our life. We turn our eyes to our burden bearer, to King Jesus. all-powerful, all-knowing God. We fix our attention on you. Yes, Lord. So, Father, we just thank you for this sweet time. Such a sweet time. We just love you so much. We say, Jesus, you're beautiful. visitation of your sweet Holy Spirit. Lord, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good tonight. You are so good. You are a good, good Father. I pray particularly for those tonight who have come in here burdened and heavy laden, crippled, paralyzed, disabled because of injury. Lord, I speak to that area of injury in their life in the strong name of Jesus. And I command healing into every area, every wound that the enemy tried to bring. We declare and decree that every weapon that's been formed against them may have been formed, but it's not going to prosper. We call an end to it tonight in the name of Jesus. We call an end to depression in the strong name of Jesus. We call an end to hopelessness in the strong name of Jesus. I speak life. I speak life over every hearer tonight in Jesus' name. I ask, Father, that you would breathe new life into every person here. That you would stir a hunger and a thirst after the things of God in them, Lord. That you would give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. That they would have new eyes to see you. That I would have new eyes to see you. Lord, we want to see you clearly. We want to see you better. We want to know you better. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. 
Now I pray your hand will be upon each person tonight as they leave. Lord God, I pray for traveling mercies. I pray, Lord, that, that you would just continue to, to speak to them, to minister to their hearts and their minds, even as they leave this place. Lord, I pray for sweet rest, for the peace of God that transcends all understanding to just saturate their minds, Lord God, and their hearts. And I ask, Lord, that the encounter we experienced tonight would continue. And by the end of the series, Lord, that we truly would know you better. Would you bless each one here, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus.